This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. And it's Fun Friday. My name is Jeff Sandu. Now, last week, me and Matt, we did a special live episode. Hey, Matt. Uh, hey, Jeff. How are you doing? Very good. So we did our first live AMA episode, yes. uh, Ask Matt Anything. As you know, the world of Reddit would probably understood. That is the exact definition of AMA, is it, Ask it, Matt Anything, absolutely. not Ask Me Anything. And judging by the uh, <laughs> tsunami of oh, yeah. uh, comments on social media, no one was listening. Yeah. <laughs> but we had a lot of questions that came in. And, you know, just like you mentioned uh, before we started doing this show, it's like it's like Christmas. We're going to pick up the leftovers. Yeah, it's like that was Christmas Day. Today's <laughs> Boxing Day. And we're we're just sorting through uh, some of the leftovers. But we want to do it with a little bit of a twist. We still yeah. have quite a lot of questions. Mm. Uh, so what Jeff and I decided was that I would give myself a time limit of two minutes because, as everyone knows, I do tend to ramble on. Ramble I think on. I managed mm, about... Mm four or five questions in uh, in the best part of 40 minutes last week. So we're going to race through them and I'm going to do my best to answer the questions within 120 seconds, which is probably more than two minutes, just to explain that I'm only going to take two minutes. <laughs> we will see how this goes as uh, we had the one of the calls that uh, we didn't manage to uh, put on air, but we did record it is uh, through Sim and this is what he had to ask. Hi, Matt. So uh, I want to know about the connections between gaming and TV or movies. Games have become such a great uh, experience in telling stories and all, especially with VR and whatnot, and they're almost as enjoyable as watching a movie or TV show now. So I just want to see, will there be a day that comes where gaming surpasses uh, TV and uh, movie se- uh, TV series and movies as a kind of medium that we all enjoy? Like, when does games become the new TV and movies. So Matt, yeah, um, will we see a day where games, I guess, become popular? Like just just as like, you know, TV content and stuff? Well, I think we already are. I mean, if you see the reaction to the recent release of Death Stranding, mm. uh, you know, people are calling that um, not just a cinematic experience, but um, this kind of collaborative project. So we are seeing uh, this kind of merging of the spheres. Obviously, we've seen... Uh, interactive episodes of uh, TV shows this year as well. Uh, Black Mirror, for example, the the Bandersnatch uh, episode. So we are seeing uh, both of these kind of different forms moving in the same direction. But I do think that at some point we will start to see them merge together. We will Mm. start to see uh, this content start to blur, Uh, especially as well. I mean, yesterday I went to finally see Gemini Man Mm. and you had Will Smith on screen with the CGI younger version of himself. And in a sense, that's already a video game. Uh, When you see the way that digital character is uh, moving around, it doesn't quite look human yet. The, The the way of integrating the um, the CGI and the human actors is not perfect yet, yeah. but it's good enough that in the static scenes when they're talking together, it's very, very disconcerting. And I've done that in less than a minute and a half. Yeah, one minute, 15 seconds. I have it here on my timer. Wow, amazing. So we're off on a good start then. Uh, so let's go on to our second caller, uh, Julian. 
So um, this year, we've just seen the launch of Disney Plus and Apple TV, both streaming platforms, and we can expect to see HBO Max soon, probably by the end of this year. Um, Disney Plus has marketed their extensive library made up of content that they've obtained from different entities that they've taken over, including Marvel, National Geographic, and especially 20th Century Fox, all on one platform. And what they've done now is that they're keeping other people from exhibiting all of that other content except on that platform itself, Disney+. Plus. So do you think this is going to happen further with other platforms? Will we all will we have all of our content under one big Disney corporate roof or do you see how do you see the streaming market changing in the future? Right, Matt. How do you think the streaming market is going to uh, shape the future? Well, this kind of belongs along with Sim's question as well, mm. I think. Uh, I, uh, you know, Apple has just uh, launched various subscription services for games, for yeah. TV, uh, for a lot of these models. And it now seems to be that we have to subscribe to, I don't know how many different services. Yeah, I mean, so I've, got, I've got the best part of half a dozen. Wow. Uh, and I don't think that's sustainable in the long term. I think we are going to have to see some consolidation. Mm. Uh, not necessarily that I want to see a single player winning out. You know, I don't want to see streaming service X winning out over streaming service B. But what I think we'll see is some kind of aggregator or I'd like to see some kind of aggregator for this content because it doesn't make sense for us to have all of these subscriptions. Mm. When we relied on satellite and cable TV, it was very straightforward. You paid your subscription fee and you got all those channels. Now we're paying for each of those services individually and in many cases, keeping that cable and subscription channel as well. So we have uh, too many of these services and some of them, I think, are going to shake out because yeah. eventually, I mean, you look at some of the, the newer players, they don't really have the volume of content to justify the money that you're paying. When you look at some of the more established ones, they have that first mover advantage. They have that body of content. Mm. And that's where you see all these companies playing all these games, you know, bringing back the the <laughs> copyright and taking the rights away. And it really just ends up irritating the consumers. Yeah, actually, that, that's how I feel. Uh, again, within two minutes, great stuff. I'm on a roll. Yeah. We should do this everywhere. <laughs> so uh, let's let's uh, pick up some of the text messages that uh, we, we had came through in the show last week. Uh, let's go with, uh, with Chris uh, Franklin. He asked, will schools as we know them become obsolete? Uh, well, Chris, I actually, I, I know Chris is a friend mm. of mine uh, and he's a head teacher. He's been in the education sphere for a very long time and he's seen a lot of changes in this sector, particularly over the last couple of decades. I, The question, will they become obsolete? I don't know if they'll become obsolete, but I think the nature of them will change. I mean, yeah. we're seeing a lot more IT in the, uh, in the classrooms, but we could even move to that kind of... Um, uh, virtual model of schooling that you see in uh, science fiction like Ready Player One, mm. where you can choose mm. what school to go to and your school is in cyberspace and you have an, an avatar. Uh, you know, with school itself is not going to be obsolete, but I think the, the way that we learn is going to change. And of course, we have fantastic tools now for giving people access to information. But what we have to do as well, of course, is teach people how to filter and process that yeah. information. That's one of the biggest issues we seem to be finding because people are not sure how to distinguish facts from uh, not facts. Mm. Uh, you know, so I, I think there will be a lot more concentration on how to actually pass knowledge 
in the future. All right. Under a minute. I mean... Well, it's schools, isn't it? <laughs> Come on, Chris. Uh, let's pick up another text message that we had uh, from Mali who asked, will we ever or have to migrate to space or will we succumb to our own actions? Well, it's a really interesting question because we know that people like Elon Musk mm. want to, uh, to to kind of push these uh, kind of Mars habitats. And in fact, we have a story coming up in Geeks, mm. which is very much about <laughs> this, uh, this kind of sphere. And now, a lot of this has to do with uh, the current kind of issues around climate, uh, the kind of damage that we're doing to the ecosystem. I think I addressed this question sort of very, very briefly uh, last week. But what I, I think, uh, or what I hope, I don't know if we will, I hope that we will have the kind of technology to arrest mm. some of the changes to the climate, at least to start maybe moving people in cities away from the coasts, if the coasts are threatened, uh, to find ways to make agriculture, um, the yields higher, and so we can actually feed people with this kind of smaller landmass that we might be left with. If it gets to the point where we have to move en masse out to the stars, I think we're in terrible trouble because, again, we don't have any planets that we can go to where we can just wander around and yeah. breathe outside. We would be condemning the human race to uh, a future of living inside these domes on inhospitable mm. planets. And, in fact, you might actually be better off building those same kind of Mars habitats on Earth if the conditions here got too bad because... You know, the, however bad the Earth is going to get, it's still probably going to be a better place to live on than Mars is going to be, mm. uh, certainly for the kind of mass of population. Oh, one minute, 30 seconds. Voila. Uh, one more. Since we are on time and we're on track, uh, Manic Maverick asked, how likely is it that we can live way longer with uh, AI-powered enhancements? Well, we're already seeing mm. um, some of this technology coming through. I mean, I've mentioned on the show numerous times, you know, the research into artificial intelligence uh, that's uh, leading us towards um, chips that can be put into the, the brain. We're looking at uh, motion systems for people who are physically uh, disabled to enable them to walk. Some of those are also powered by AI. Uh, in terms of I'm not sure how AI will be used, except in, in terms of uh, research and breakthroughs in the medical science, because you can't necessarily use a machine to uh, uh, or an AI to make your cells rejuvenate or uh, to to extend the life uh, your the length of your life to to that extent. But what we will see is more machinery mm. that is able to do this. We'll see technology that. Uh, I think, you know, helps to clean up blood or rejuvenate tissues or revitalize tissues. Uh, obviously, uh, these kind of technologies that are implantable in the brain as well, that's probably where we're going to see AI having its biggest effect in terms of um, the extension of, uh, of human life. But we are going to see a lot of machinery and technology pushing us towards this extended life. And as I said, I think uh, last week, I do want to do a show in the next few weeks on staying young until 
you die. So yeah, mm. this technology is is very much here, and we've seen um, uh, experimental vaccines that can be used to reverse aging in mice, for example. So there is a lot of technology in this sphere, but I wouldn't necessarily say it's AI based. All right. Uh, now we've got two more questions left in the AMA barrel, but we will get to that after the break. But worry not, because I have a lot of questions for Matt. Stay tuned. BFM eighty nine point nine. Bole for Malaysia. Ha. BFM 89.9, the business station. And we're back. It's Fun Friday. It's the leftovers of the AMA show that we did last week. And yes, it is the turkey sandwiches <laughs> of MSP. Exactly. So uh, last week we didn't ask Matt anything. There were a ton of questions that Matt didn't get to answer because he spent too long answering one question. And now we're <laughs> racing through them because I'm not spending enough time. Yeah, so now we're actually, we have a lot of time left. So we're scraping through the barrels of the leftovers. So let's start off with well, another not say scraping through the barrels. They're still all great questions. <laughs> they are great questions. And uh, actually, we had a caller uh, from internally in BFM. Lynn had to ask you this. So I want to know if I want to continue living my life with all its modern, you know, conveniences and things like that. But I don't necessarily want to engage with every new thing that's going to make my life more and more and more convenient and more and more connected to everybody else's on all the apps and all the platforms. How do I choose what to engage or disengage with? Is it possible to live a life off the grid without being off the grid entirely? So Matt, is it possible to live off the grid without technically being off the grid? Well, of course it is. Uh, it depends to what extent you want to take it. So, uh, for example, one of the things I was reading today was uh, the release of the new uh, punked phone O2, which is another one of these minimal phones. Mm. Now that's been pushed to an uh, LTE platform, uh, largely because the platform it was on before, the the um, 2G, oh, okay, is being right. phased yeah, out yeah, in a lot of countries. So anymore. yeah, exactly. Mm. So they've they've kind of reintroduced the phone on a, a different spectrum to to give it a bit more longevity. So you do have these options. You don't have to be connected all of the time. Mm. It depends how you want to do it. Uh, again, another story that we're going to be covering in Geeks later is all about retro technology. Now, there's a lot of retro technology that you can use mm. to uh, entertain yourself, but not to connect yourself to this wider network. VCRs, DVDs, mm. vinyl cassettes, you know, all of all of this kind of technology. Uh, if you want, you can even try and dial up AOL on a 56K <laughs> modem and, uh, you know, download your email byte by byte. So it really does depend the extent to which you can do it. But you do have that luxury to kind of cut and paste mm. what technology you, you want to use. I mean, one of the um, experiments that uh, I've wanted to do this year and haven't quite gotten around to is living with a stripped down uh, operating system like Chrome OS mm, mm, and yeah. and limiting the number of apps on my phone to, you know, maybe half a dozen. So maybe that's something that I will get around to doing next year. But you can, you know, uh, you can go out, you can pay for things with cash rather than using your card, unless, of course, you're in Sweden, as Jeff was, uh, I think, uh, earlier this year and mm. was unable to pay for anything <laughs> with, with cash. So it very much depends on the, the society, what society kind of dictates that you have to do in terms of technology to, to navigate your daily life. But beyond that, yeah, of course, you can limit the technology to the, the point that you want. Your internet access could just be on a screen or a terminal in 
one room in your house so that that's the only time and place that you have access to it. It's entirely up to you. Mm. Two minutes, 15 seconds there. Oh, no, I blew it. Yeah. I had one returning, on re- returning back to your usual self. But it's good because this next question, I'm going to combine these two questions because they're almost about the same. So Chai Weiyan asked, would AI be used to determine the eligibility of welfare or taking loans? And what about AI policing? Which kind of relates to Mike's question. Hi, Matt. I have a question about social credit scoring systems. I know that China actually has got a and uh, has got a system in place, and I want to know whether is whether Malaysian employers are actually thinking about using a similar system to vet the employability of their candidates. Thank you. So Mike is asking like about, you know, the social credit score. And we know that this is all, again, done in a system. It's all algorithms based. You've got a rating. You know, would it be similar where you even use for employees and using about, you know, whether your employability in the future. So what's going to happen here? Well, I can't answer all of these in two minutes. There's actually four questions here and that's just not possible. Um, so, OK, uh, for Wei Yan, the first part of his question, um, in terms of the eligibility of welfare, now we already see computer systems mm-hmm. being used in this sphere. Um, uh, same with taking loans. We've had algorithms determining your credit scores and uh, approving loans for a long time already. So this isn't actually new technology. Where it does get into uh, maybe a a little bit more uh, controversial ground is about AI policing. Now, we've seen various systems coming to the fore over the last uh, few years. I think um, Brazilian police used some kind of facial recognition technology linked to glasses during the the last World Cup, and they'd scan a crowd of people and they could flag up the people who had uh, outstanding warrants or who were known to them or whatever. Uh, What we've also had is similar systems, eye in the sky systems, being uh, debuted in uh, various police forces in the United States, usually only pilot schemes. Uh, And, of course, uh, a lot of um, kind of predictive algorithms. So we have algorithms that are uh, looking at the the likelihood of certain parts of the population committing crimes. Now, this tends to have certain biases based in. Um, I think some parts of the US even have algorithms to recommend sentences. Mm -hmm. So... It looks at where you live, where you're from. And of course, if you come from a high crime neighborhood, uh, that doesn't necessarily mean that you yourself are going to commit crimes. So but the algorithm can learn that, you know, you're from that neighborhood. So you should go to jail for your crime, whereas somebody from a a more kind of well to do and lower crime neighborhood Mm. might get away with a fine for the, the same offense. So we do have to be very careful with how these technologies are implemented. Now, going on to Mike's part of the question, and I did that in just under two minutes on three questions. Mm. Uh, So going on to Mike's part, so social credit, absolutely. I definitely think that uh, we're going to see those same kind of social credit systems being extended across the board. We already see uh, employers uh, Googling and searching (laughs) on social media for um, the profiles of um, uh, candidates for jobs to see what they're doing. We have uh, a lot of companies already have social media policies that govern how you can speak about the company you work for on your social media platforms. Definitely, we are going to see uh, these social credit 
systems being expanded. And again, it is a, a, a cause for concern. Yeah. Uh, and yes, uh, once you start linking those things up to legislation, you can have people being denied the the opportunity to work, the opportunity to get a mortgage or travel. Uh, I think in China, explicitly people with low credit scores do have limits on uh, how they can travel around the country. I think they, they have to take trains rather than using planes, for example. So there are all kinds of limits that can be put on people using this technology. So it is something to look uh, look out for uh, and to be very careful how we extend that implementation. Mm. And you know what? We only have about five uh, minutes left to answer all the questions that I actually have for you. so uh, we, That's deliberate on my part. <laughs> so we'll, we'll just pick out the, I guess, you know, I've, I've listed down a few, but I'll just pick out the big ones. I guess the first one I want to ask you is that why do we struggle with how technology just changes the way we work, we live, we eat, we sleep? You know, we've got constant updates, we've got constant security breaches, and then the different cultures, the way they adapt to it differently, you know, the China versus West. Why, why is is tech so difficult sometimes? Well, we're not designed for these kind of massive instant social changes. They are shocks to our system. I mean, when you look at the way human beings have evolved, a lot of things are very similar to mm. 2,000 years ago. I mean, I used the example, I think, on the show last week or the, the week before uh, about if you looked at, you know, the, the living room of the 1970s mm. and you look at the living room of today – they're very similar. There's a TV set, there's chairs and there's tables, there's a, a rug, there's uh, ornaments and pictures on the wall, there are light fittings. Uh, the things that have transformed our lives, like that digital technology, those are actually very small parts mm. of that, that physical room. And I think this is what we're seeing. We're seeing all of these massive changes, changes to the way we work, changes to the way we uh, live, changes to uh, a lot of our kind of social norms, and it's all happening on top of each other. Uh, so we're adapting to all of this new technology, but we're not coming up with the norms of behavior fast enough to actually put these into a social context. So that's why, you know, Twitter can sometimes appear a bit like the, the Wild West yeah. with everyone shouting at everybody else uh, because we haven't learned that it is a public space and in a public space you have a conversation with someone. All right. What is the one device that really changed the way you look at technology and how it kind of shaped us? I really don't know. I mean, if you if you want it to be that really kind of, personal one i think it would probably be the uh the cd player just oh. the introduction of the the cd the idea that um we were suddenly consuming this kind of digital technology uh probably um video games as well mm. would have been the same kind of thing because they came into my life at about the same time you know 1970s early yeah. uh, early 1980s so that was the cusp of this kind of move from analog and solid state to this very much kind of microchip world where uh you know suddenly by the time i was in my mid-teens a lot more people had personal computers uh you know this the kind of seeds of the current kind of um digital world we live in was starting to be sown then mm. but i think for me in terms of impact yes it was the 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 cd player that suddenly uh that this music that you had on clunky cassettes or great big pieces of vinyl 
you suddenly had this thing that you could just, you know, press a button and skip to the next track and rewind <laughs> and go forward. And that was amazing, especially yeah. the fact that it was uh, read by a laser because this is only a couple of years after the first Tron movie came out. Mm. You know, so this idea of laser-powered and I think uh, in the US it was the Star Wars Defense Initiative, which was lasers in space to shoot down Soviet Union nuclear missiles and all that kind of thing. So it was this kind of laser-powered technology and mm. CD was kind of that version of that in your home. You know, I used to be very fascinated in how the the, the player could actually detect when the, the song number seven would start in the disc itself, right? Like, you know, because... I was a big fan of like cassettes and, you know, you're making your own mixtapes and you had to, you know, when you, you're doing your own dubbing, you got to find, you know, a good spot to, you know, record the second and third song. and then to Or play. if you're going back and oh, dubbing yeah. over a song you don't like anymore, <laughs> you have to find a song that fits into that same space yeah. without going over the top of the song before <laughs> and the one after. So it was really difficult. But then when CD came along, I was like, how does it work that I just have to press one skip button and it skips to the next song? So yeah, And, it, and also... Yeah because it was something that you couldn't see because you yeah, pressed the button and it went inside. <laughs> you know, with a cassette, you could see yeah. the tape and you yeah. could see the heads that it goes over and you can mm. see everything turning. Obviously, with vinyl, you get to see everything. Yeah. But suddenly, it was all invisible. Can't see. Um, why does plant-based meat gross me out? Because you're weird. <laughs> um, I Honestly, I have... I mean, what, plant-based meat or laboratory-grown meat? Those kind of meat. <laughs> well, plant-based plant meat shouldn't freak you out because really it's just plant-based protein, mm. like pea proteins and things like that. And all it's, you know, we've had vegetable burgers for yeah. a long, long time. Mm. So, um, okay, it's a bit weird that we now have vegetable burgers that bleed. I don't really see the, the, yeah. the need for that part. Um, but, uh, you know, it's the, the bleeding part of the burger that, that kind of grosses me out anyway. Yeah. So, um, but it's certainly in terms of lab-grown meat, I know the, the connotations. It's mm. because it's not seen as being organic. But the way we currently have meat is not organic either. You know, we, uh, especially as a lot of the, the meat that we, especially in, uh, you know, uh, pre-bought food or mm. shop-bought food is processed meat. So even though it's taken from an animal, there's a lot of other processes that it goes through uh, to be, um, what's the euphemism, M uh, <laughs> mechanically recovered. Yes. Um, so... It does gross people out, I know, but that's partly because they don't think too deeply about where the mm. current meat comes from. And if you think about the, the cruelty-free option, uh, which is growing it in a lab, then it does start to make a lot more sense. Uh, and I think it is just something that people are going to have to get over because uh, I was reading a report, I think, a couple of weeks ago saying that uh, if all of the current pork production on the world was just sold to China, it wouldn't be enough to meet China's needs, let alone the, the rest of the world. So wow. we are running out of space to uh, create enough meat to, to meet demand. All right. Uh, we may be able to squeeze two more questions. Uh, the next one is, what would science never be able to fix? The printer. That's a really <laughs> easy question. Um, and... Because I've always been irritated so much yeah. by printers, I did actually 
sort of Google and mm. look into the reasons mm. that um, that printers are so complicated. And it turns out they are actually really complicated. And as much as I've moaned about them for years and years and years, that process of um, heating up rollers mm. and putting the ink onto the paper, we think of it as being very simple and straightforward. But treating the paper to those high temperatures causes a lot of problems. Have and you it causes... found a soft spot for printers now? No, I haven't found a soft spot. I have. I, I still hate them. <laughs> uh, what was it? I had to print out four pages on uh, Wednesday morning and it took me over half an hour <laughs> because I had to update the drivers. I had to, you know, just all the usual things. You plug in the printer after yeah. not having used it for a, a couple of months yeah. and it just doesn't work anymore. And the paper had become humid because that's another problem, especially in climates like mm. Malaysia. The paper becomes humid, yeah. so it starts to stick to the roller, mm. and it causes drag when it goes through the, uh, the 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 mechanism gets pulled out. You see, I've done my research on this. Uh, yeah, yeah, I can't imagine you're explaining to me about no, but, printer because I yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, I had to because it was pulling this paper too many sheets through after. Every page I printed, I had to switch it off to clear the memory, switch it back on again because it would jam every time. So I'd clear the jam, then I'd have to switch it off to clear the memory and go back on. That's why it took Don't me so long. Don't come looking for sympathy. I'm not looking for, I'm not looking for sympathy. They are awful, awful yeah, machines, yeah, yeah. but it turns out that right. they are a lot more complicated okay. uh, than I thought, and we're probably not going to solve that anytime soon unless we just 3D print the letter from scratch. Make the paper with the ink on it. All, all some would be tweeting in go paperless and stuff, right? So anyways, um, finally, though, I need to ask you, why are you so grim? Uh, I mean, I've had a lot of training. Um, you know, <laughs> I've done postgraduate degrees in grimness. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's it's one of those things we... we I mean, people know, always would ask me, it's like, you know, I like, I like the show, but... Why is it so dark? Yeah, Matt's always very dark and very grim. And well, like, I mean, that's, yeah. I mean that is part and parcel of my personality. I'm not the, the most light-hearted person, but um, no, you know, we do try and show often the worst-case scenario on the shows because if we come out and do unicorn episode after yeah. unicorn episode, everyone thinks, you know, oh, there's nothing to worry about. Facial recognition technology, yeah, it's just to help <laughs> me look pretty in the morning. No, it's not. It's to control mm. your behaviour. So, you know, you you have to show some of these dark sides as well. And sometimes uh, with the thought experiments, we do go darker than uh, maybe the reality will go. Mm. But that's also just to demonstrate what direction these technologies could go in and to remind people that they're the ones who control it. All right. Uh, that's all we have for the leftover of MSP AMA episode or Ask Matt Anything. We will be back to, I guess, regular programming next yeah. week. Uh, in fact, today I think we should call it AMMA, Ask Matt More Anything. <laughs> and uh, we'll be right back with uh, Geeks after this, BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.